Welcome, welcome, everybody. I know it's been a while. This is Nathan McAllen, a partner in charge of our Houston office and our energy group with our ninth addition to Energy Executive Profiles. I'm excited about this one. We got the legendary Chuck Yates. Uh, it's been a while since we've uh, you've heard from us, and that's because I think the last time we had someone scheduled uh, was the Monday, I think it was March 9th, that oil dropped from $41 to $31. And uh, the uh, energy banker at the time called me and just said, man, I can't do it. Uh, I, can't, I can't get on a podcast to talk about the industry when I, I don't know what to say to my clients right now. So it's been a little bit of different feeling since the last time. But you know, I think Chuck will uh, pump us up here and we're excited to have him. Uh, so Chuck, before we get well, into hold on, the... Hold on, hold on, hold on. How many people said no to coming on this before you got to me? I mean, we're talking months now, aren't we? Well, you know, it's more of a general, uh, I'm just not ready to talk right now. I don't know what to say. It's I mean, not you, it's me? That, that's probably right, I think. Oh, wow, okay. No, I didn't think I could get, could get you before, you know, now that you're... Uh, yeah, I'm a pretty important person. You, you are, you are. you got, you got too much time on your hands, so I was like, man, he's on Twitter all the time. He can definitely talk on a podcast. There we go, Exactly. Honored to be here. So, Chuck, um, before we get into the the more detail, give us just a little a, a little background on you know what's going on in, in Chuck Chuck's life right now. Yeah, no. So uh, I have figured this out. Being unemployed might be the greatest thing on the planet. Like I'm gonna move back in with my parents before I have to get another job, and so. You know, I've been sitting, uh, spending way too much time. My kids are just mortified with the amount of time I, I have to focus on them. And, uh, oh, Dad, can't you get another job? But uh, but literally just been uh, been sitting around. I'm working on a podcast. I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point or not. And uh, I've, uh, I've, I've joined a venture capital firm's advisory board, which is an unpaid gig, but you get to sit around and kind of just be the old guy. Which is uh, which is kind of cool, and uh, then I'm sitting around spending way too much time on Twitter. So and and if if for everyone out there, what's what's the name that can follow you? N- nimble Fatty, and uh, it's Nimble P H A T T Y. I'm that cool. You got to follow him. He's got good content and a lot of a lot of videos with his face on it. But you know, for those that don't know, you used to run uh, Kane Anderson's Energy Private uh, Equity Funds, and you know, I don't even know if you remember this, but the first time, I mean, I've been around you at a lot of events, but. You know, you're uh, definitely more of the crowd gatherer than I am. So I don't know. You know, we haven't interacted much of those. But the first time I really got to spend some time with you, I, I, I don't. Do you remember when that was? Was it? No, I don't. It Lay was, it on me. It was whopped. I think in 2018 or 19. But I weaseled onto your plane to get home from Vegas to to Tulsa, then Dallas, and then ultimately Houston. But my my good friend Matt Gentry. Got me a spot, and uh, we don't tell anyone we met because of Matt Gentry, do we? Is salt that, of that the earth, be, right there. Now Matt's good people, but like that might be needed to you know put in the vault. The kind of silence. Just kidding, Matt. Uh, no, Matt. And then Matt is also you know he was so on you, this. You snuck on the plane. Snuck on the plane. I got a seat, and uh, you were probably like, "What is this? You know, dorky counting across." No, they told doing? me you had like chocolate chip cookies or something. That's so, right. Yeah. Well, I will say I don't know what the plane ride was out to Vegas, but I'm guessing it was a lot more exciting than the plane ride back from Vegas. It. Vegas has a tendency to do that to us, right? And particularly at the WAPT with uh, with all of those folks. So you're right. It was probably a much more mellow affair. More reflective, I might I might say. And as a humble CPA here, I will say that was probably that was one of my first um, private flights ever. And you know I'm pretty ecstatic, but I'm trying to act like I've been there before, which I hadn't. And uh, you know the cool thing is, and I don't know if you remember this. You know all of a sudden we land in Tulsa, we drop off a few of your portfolio companies at the time, and then we land in Dallas and drop off Matt and, and somebody else. And and then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, it's gonna be me and Chuck Yates. And as someone who sells services to a private equity fund. I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to this guy. I'm going to get some business out of him. This is going to be probably the best hour of my life here. And and what do you do at the last minute? You look at me, 
you jump off the plane and you say, hey, they're going to take you back by yourself. And now I'm on this plane by myself, and so I, I, I begin to drink some of your booze. And so I nice. Broke, I did. I did. I broke That's into strong. it. That's strong. That's strong. I like that. I like that. So this is the hour uh, pitch. That's okay, right. That's you right. Right. walked into it. All right. Great. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I had a bunch of friends in Dallas, and that was a... Uh, that was kind of a last-minute thing, a touchdown. I think when we touched down in Tulsa, there was some text of, why don't you just you know, hang out in Dallas that weekend? So. Hey, it's all right. I don't mind a plane by myself. But anyway, so that was a crazy ride back from Vegas that, for me. Hey, hey, audience, was that a great way to say, I can't talk to an accountant <laughs> That's for right. a freaking hour. Good Lord, debits, credits. Why am I only on a plane with this Did guy? you know, in all seriousness, between first, second year of business school, auditor. Ernst and Young, really? You yeah. worked for EY. I worked for EY for the summer. Really doing uh, In the entrepreneurial services. Group. Okay, so what kind of companies did you audit? You know, it was wild. We went out to a ranch and ca- counted cattle. Drove through there. Inventory counts. You can't beat inventory absolutely. counts. Absolutely, absolutely. I uh, I know what uh, PBC means. <laughs> That's right. Prepared by client. Man, you're gonna warm all the auditor hearts in uh, on this one. Both of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. All auditors have hearts. I didn't mean that. Oh, that's right. See what you can aspire to be, uh, you know, through those internships, and one day you can be Chuck Yates. Um, so before we get into your background, you know, it's we're at a weird time. We've all gone through COVID these last few months. Um, tell us, you know, 2020. I mean, what what's your life been like the last nine months? How's COVID impact you? You know, it's 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 been really interesting from the point of view. If you would have told me January first, twenty twenty, you're gonna, you know, if you would have been a little evil and baited me into it, Chuck, you're gonna make the Wall Street Journal. I'd have been like, oh man, that's great, because you got heave hoed out of Kane Anderson. Well, that's not so good. And then you would say, and you got to stay locked up in your house and not really hang out with people for call it six months i'd have been like oh man this is going to be like the most horrific thing ever i mean i'm the oldest of four boys i'm always hanging out with people i'm a people person you know i'm so shallow i need to have people to listen to me to 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 do this but uh in a weird sort of way it's really been great um i mean no one ever likes to lose their job but uh i describe it kind of this way my mom uh, had a hip replacement surgery, call it eight years ago. And I went and saw her and I'm like, hey mom, how you doing? She goes, well, I had my body splayed open and I had a bone cut out, so I'm not doing great. But this chronic arthritis, this pain I just had every day is gone. And I had no idea how much I hurt. And I think that was kind of me in stress. You know, just in hindsight, you wake up the next morning, you go, holy cow, oh my gosh, I don't have to get on the 8.30 call. And, you know, there was a lot of guilt in terms of, oh my gosh, but I've left kind of my investors, my portfolio companies. But, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't my choice. But um, anyway, so so that wound up being great. And then, and then being by myself, kind of being in my own head, as much as that would have like mortified me on January 1st, as you said, you're going to hang out in your own head for a while, uh, I think was actually a really good thing. Got to, got to knock some cobwebs off. The, I think the one thing that I didn't appreciate, and, you, you're, and a, a totally appropriate response here is, well, no doubt, Sherlock, and roll your eyes at me, but I had no idea how much just my job and what I did every day was inherited. I mean, 95% of what we did was because we were a private equity firm, because we were Kane Anderson. It just, and and being able to wake up, have a blank sheet of paper and say, well, I don't have to do something that way. I can do it this way. It was really freeing. So I will, you will hear me get on the soapbox and I don't know exactly what the speech will say, but it'll say something to the effect of just, Companies, you got to give your workers, and I don't know what the right time frame is, but let's make this up, three months off every two years or every three years. I don't know what it, where they can just go away and think. Because the amount of 
original thoughts and getting the blood going and all that sort of stuff was, has just been amazing. It's actually been a lot of fun. And we're talking about everyone but auditors and tech. <laughs> For any of our young auditors listening, that was a joke. No, um, but did you pick up any new hobbies? Are you whittling? Are you woodworking? Are you painting? I mean, any crazy new things in your life since you had some time on your hands? The uh, This is so embarrassing, but it, I'll go ahead and just fess up to it. So, you know, if you think about it, immediately into quarantine, when I'm still with Kane, you've got, call it, two hours a day of commute time in from Richmond, you know, showering, getting dressed and all that, all of a sudden you had that. So that really morphed itself into a lot of time on the Peloton bike. And uh, if I say something as obnoxious as, and I had a LaCroix afterwards, please kick me. But <laughs> So I'm not trying to be as pompous as I just sounded. So a lot of time on the Peloton, figured out a lot of taking conference calls, just put the headset on and walk around the block. So, so that was nice in terms of getting a lot of vitamin D from the sun and the like. And then when, uh, then when I got, you know, got the boot and had a lot of free time, the, uh, the, the two things that kind of came out were one, I just went back on Twitter, you know, as nimble fatty. I kind of, I decided I'm just going to go on, go on there as my own name and say whatever I want to. I don't, you know, I don't have a wife at this point. I don't have a boss. I can say whatever I want to probably left to my own devices. Uh, I'm sure I'm in trouble with somebody because of that. Um, and then the, um, and then the second thing that I've done is I can't tell you how many phone calls, how many direct messages through Twitter of people that just wanted to talk and they went kind of one of two paths. I would get a I would get a text or a message through Twitter saying, "Hey, I'm anonymous on Twitter. Can I call you from a burner phone? I want to talk about the industry. If you recognize who I am, please don't dox me and and all that." And I was like, "Great." So I had I can't tell you how many talks I had with people that were 25 to 35 just going, "Should I be in this industry? What should I do?" What should I be thinking about? And, uh, you know, it was actually really rewarding to be able to, to, to sit there and go, man, I've gone through all this. I've got some things to share. On the other hand, it made me feel really, really old. Um, and then the other thing is just it's amazing how many people are going through things today, whether it's losing a job family unsettled or whatever and so a lot of the phone calls I would get Chuck how you doing I said man I'm great you know yesterday morning I recreated the opening video montage from Ferris Bueller's day off and just you know had the best time doing it and it morphed quickly into you know how you doing and it's oh I've got this going on so I kind of feel like I was the Brene Brown for the oil and gas business um, for, for the summer. And so, you know, aside from just, as I was saying earlier, mortifying my kids by spending, uh, as much time as I can focused on them, it, uh, I spent a lot of time doing that and that was really fun. The, the counselor to the industry, uh, which is good. Uh, <laughs> which is like scary. <laughs> I always said, do, do the opposite of what I'm about to tell you. And so, you know, we're going to step it back a little bit. You know, tell us about the beginning. You grew up here in Richmond, is that right? So I was born in Dallas. The, the story there is my dad was in med school. He was at Southwestern. My mom was teaching at Irving High School. And they lived in Irving, Texas. And in fairness to my mom, my dear sweet mother, that was a really bad time for her, right? She's pregnant. She's teaching school. Her husband's always at the hospital and all. So mom was miserable in Irving. So it's Friday, September 13th. Mom goes into labor. And she calls dad, I'm going into labor. Dad's like, I'll be right there. Dad comes home, picks her up and says, let's go to Irving General. And mom's like, no, we can't do this. I'm like, you know, we can't do this. And dad's like, what are you talking about? She goes, he can't have Irving on his birth certificate. (laughs) You drive me to Dallas. And dad is just like, you've got to be kidding me. Drive me to Dallas right now. So drives to Baylor College of Medicine in Dallas you know, 35 minutes or whatever the, the, the drive is. And so uh, I was born in Dallas. 
And what's so funny about that is mom calls me every morning, every year on my birthday. And I was in labor for 35 (laughs) minutes as I drove to Dallas so you wouldn't have Irving on your birth certificate. Killed her when, I don't know, 10 years ago. I go, Mom, that's Las Colinas now. It's pretty happening. (laughs) It wasn't when I was there. And being a Houston guy, maybe Dallas is uh, more than negative. Yes, exactly. uh, I'm not sure I should say that on a pod, but... uh, (laughs) There, there, there probably is a good spot to actually put the wall in Texas. I'm not sure it's at the border, but uh, so, uh, so anyway, no. Born in Dallas, moved to Houston shortly thereafter. Um, it was really funny. So we, we lived. Uh, we're we're sitting here at basically Buffalo Speedway in '59. So think kind of '610 where Post Oak comes off. That's that's where we where we lived, and uh, it was really interesting because. Time for me to go to kindergarten. Mom grew up in West University. So okay. mom wants to live in West U. Dad grew up in Rosenberg, Texas. Dad wants to move to Rosenberg, Texas, right? So anyway, they make the deal. They say, we're going to let Chuck interview at St. John's. And if he gets in, we'll live in West University. If he doesn't, we'll move out to uh, Richmond, Rosenberg. So anyway, the morning of the interview, I am supposedly throwing a fit. My mom drives over to St. John's, sitting in the car. I will not go in. I will, uh, I'm throwing this fit. The lady has to come out and interview me in the car, right? (laughs) And she's sitting there, and I throw this fit. She somehow gets through it. My mom is so apologetic. Oh, I'm so sorry. Can't we, can't we please, you know, get him another interview? And the, uh, the admissions lady at St. John's said, well... I don't think that would help. He's rather ordinary. Oh, <laughs> so, man. If she, only she knew you now. Well, and, and what's so funny about it is my dad, of course, pounces on this. He's brought such shame on the family. We have to move out to Richmond Rosenberg. We can't can't live in West Hughes. So, yeah, I grew up uh, I grew up down in Richmond, Texas. Uh, which the idea of a kindergarten having an interview is just kind of a, uh, insane anyway. I mean, a five-year-old, you never know how they're going to act on one day to another. Well, what was so funny is my son, Charlie, we sent him over to interview for uh, St. John's. And, and Charlie, I mean, when he was eight months old, he started speaking. When he was a year old, simple sentences, 18 months old. I mean, we're talking paragraphs. This guy just talked paragraphs. So by the time he's supposed to go over and interview at St. John's for uh, for kindergarten, I mean, the dude could give an hour speech if he wanted to. And uh, anyway, we're trying to get him pumped to go up uh, to go over there. And so uh, I actually told him that uh, that it was going to be on TV. Your interview's going to be on TV. And so Charlie's walking with the lady, and he's like. Where's the TV? She's just like, what are you doing? I go, you just roll with it. <laughs> Where's the camera? Yeah. Uh, and this is the same son who's uh, at the age of, what, 18, 33 years into college? Yeah, or? he's a junior in, uh, junior in college. He just kind of decided uh, after, the, uh, after the second year of high school, he wanted to go to college. He, he, uh, and, and on his Instagram page, for the longest time, it said high school dropout. <laughs> Great. <laughs> the... Uh, so, you know, you grew up in Richmond and you have four brothers. Are you all really competitive? Are you guys close? Are you similar? Do you still, I mean, what's that dynamic like? The, so we're all two and a half years apart, almost to the day. It's almost like your dad's a doctor and knows how all that works, you know, and, um, and all. And what mom always said about us, which was so interesting, is we would all just fight and the alliances would literally change by the minute. So one minute it's me and Bobby going against Kenny and Jay, me and Kenny against Jay and Bobby, and uh, we do all that. But supposedly the second someone from the outside tried to come in, we'd circle the wagons, and, and that's sort of what it was like growing up. In fact, you know, one of the so I have two real, and, and this is serious. I have two real disappointments in my life. One. I had the first computer down in Richmond, Texas. I mean, I kind of think in math, and so I had the computer. So how I did not wind up one of these 29-year-old GMs in baseball is beyond me. I mean, I should have been Theo Epstein or, or one of these guys because I like the stats, and I should have done that. I had the computer. Yates Moneyball. Yates Moneyball, absolutely. And then the second thing, which was just the huge career miss of all times, 
if my brothers and I knew how much money Johnny Knoxville and the guys from Jackass made, <laughs> we could have just filmed it. I mean, we've lived that. The uh, the and and uh, one of the one of the real funny things is uh, us brothers. We were all digging a hole to China. And so we were out there every day. I think in hindsight, what we figured out is our dad was encouraging it just to keep us out of trouble. So we're out there digging in the backyard, digging into China. Well, uh, <laughs> unbeknownst to us, one night, dad snuck out there and he put uh, chopsticks and fortune cookies in the <laughs> hole. And we came running and, Mom, we're so close. We've got this. <laughs> and so, you know, you grow up there. You, clearly, you do well in high school because you got into Rice. Um, is that is Rice always where you want to go? How did that work out? Is that well, you want to stay close? We're not allowed to go any other place in the Yates family. So... So I'm the third. So Charles Sr. went to Rice. His sister went to Rice. Charles Jr. went to Rice. My mom, Sally, went to Rice. Uh, my uncle, Terry, went to Rice. I, of course, had to go there. Uh, wasn't allowed to go anywhere. Brother Jay went there. Brother Kenny went there. Brother Bobby uh, wound up not going there. Uh, Brother Bobby wound up Failing out of A&M before orientation week was uh, started. Love you, Bobby. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, but Bobby kind of meet, you know marches to the uh, beat of his own drummer, and I'm not sure they have any drumsticks. Uh, but Bobby's a great guy. He's actually now a, uh, a uh, football coach for seventh grade. And uh, I said, Bobby, how's the season going? He's going, great. I've gotten two penalties for running up the score. Like, that deal. <laughs> so, yeah, went to, went to Rice. The, uh, Kim, my ex-wife, went to Rice. Becca, my sister-in-law, went to Rice. Crystal, my sister-in-law, went to Rice. We might have, and, and multiple people in the Yates family have multiple degrees from Rice. So we might actually have more Rice degrees than other folks. Is it, well, yeah, is there a Yates Hall there yet, or...? The uh, no, although you know what I always find so funny about Rice, only Rice University and the the state of our athletic program would name their basketball gym after the career leader in turnovers for the basketball team. Did you know that Bobby Bobby Tudor is the career leader? in turnovers at Rice, and we named the gym after him. Well, maybe he uh, cut a fat check, and that's how he got it. You think? <laughs> Actually, you know what's so funny? That's not really a true story. I've just totally made that up on Bobby, but I, <laughs> I tell it every chance I get. You know? Did he really play basketball there? Yeah, he played basketball. He was, on that, he was on that team that had Ricky Pierce, and Ricky Pierce wound up playing in the NBA. I think Ricky Pierce won sixth man of the year twice in the NBA, but that was the um, – the uh, Olajuwon, U oh, of H. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were they called? Um, Faislama Jamma. Yeah, yeah, the Faislama Jamma. So they, they played up against those guys. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you go to Rice. And uh, so did you, you know, once you go off to college, did you evolve much? Did you already have a lot of freedom? Now you get this freedom, you go to college. Did uh, you all of a sudden take any big changes? or? You know, it was it, here's what was wild about going to college. So... The first president at Rice must have gotten beaten up by fraternity guys. So there are no fraternities on Rice's campus. And uh, they have a residential college system. And basically all that is is you got a dorm, but you have a student government and you you know, so it's kind of like a fraternity, but you're just assigned to a residential college system, you know, to a residential college. So I show up on campus and literally they put me in the dorm that or the residential college they put me in brown brown from its inception till literally when i walked in the door all female and so you know you kind of take not a place a bad place to be as an 18 year old it, it, fair enough especially there, if you grew up with all boys grew up with all boys it's also a little difficult putting neanderthal man oldest of four boys in with with women, you know, in terms of living together for the first time, as Brown likes to say, we, we never actually lost our uh, room deposits until the boys showed up. But, uh, so yeah, no, we, uh, so my roommate, my roommate and I had this big elaborate plan. We moved all our stuff in the night before cause he knew the head of orientation week. So we moved it all in the night before 
because we were going to go help all the cute girls move their furniture in and, and just, yeah, it didn't work out very well. <laughs> and so you're, you're at Rice and, uh, you know, you're, if those that know you, you're, you know, I feel like you, you march to the beat of your own drum, a little bit of free spirit. Uh, you know, I'll go to an energy event and everyone's in suits and you may be in a hoodie and some, some tennis shoes. Did that evolve at a young age? Was that a... You know, did that already start, or was this more later in life? I don't know. I think it, I think I've kind of always been this odd bird. If uh, you know, God bless Sally Yates and Charlie Yates for kind of letting us all go, um, and kind of encourage the uh, the the freedom. Our, our running joke in the family is because you know, mom and dad both went to Rice. We're the product of when nerds breed, and so. So yeah, uh, it was funny. We uh, we wound up that first night of orientation week actually having a keg. We went and bought a keg and had a party in our room uh, that first night. So yeah, they. Uh, oh, my mom might be listening. <laughs> mom, we really didn't do that. I made that story up. I'm shallow, and I was trying to uh, make people laugh. <laughs> so when you're at Rice um, now, are you working, going to school, just going to school? How do you spend your free time outside of studying? The um, so I was a big sports fan, obviously. So a lot of Rice athletic events that I would go to. You paint your face. Oh yeah, I was totally that guy. You know, show up with the shirt off and you know paint something and a hula, a grass skirt or whatever. Um, the uh, the I think the crowning achievement of me and Rice athletics is uh remember uh the michigan team the fab five oh yeah weber and all those guys big shorts yeah exactly so their first game ever as a unit they played rice university at the summit so adam peaks i think was on that team brent scott was on the rice team so at halftime they draw a name out of the hat drew mine i go down on the court and what i have to do is i have to hit a three-pointer and then I have to move back basically halfway between the three-point line and the mid-court line and hit a shot from there. And they give me 35 seconds. And if I do that, I win a free Southwest ticket anywhere in the United States. So I'm sitting there at the three-point line, and I fancy myself an athlete, a basketball player, more of a down-low guy, but, uh, but you know kind of a, a more Charles Barkley and Olajuwon, Moses Malone type. But I'm like, I can shoot a three-pointer. Eight straight air balls. <laughs> In my defense, it's actually pretty hard when you have a clear backboard. And there's hanging. people behind it, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, everyone who plays basketball, there's always a wall behind. So you have some sort of bearing on this. So eight straight air balls. It got to the point where the uh, crowd was chanting, air ball. <laughs> but then on the ninth one, I uh, I nailed it, and then I stepped back to that point and nailed that shot. Really? Yes, absolutely. Well, I, later absolutely. on I was going to say best point in your life, but clearly now I know it. So oh, I'm yeah. not going to ask that. It's been all downhill ever since. <laughs> uh, so, what did you know you wanted to go into energy when you were at Rice, or did that no. kind of evolve afterwards? No. So, so here's what here's what happens is I took a detour through um, law school. Because I really thought I wanted to be the governor of the state of Texas. You go to Texas law school, big, thick book, tiny print, no pictures. That's just bad, right? So uh, I always say I went to a semester of law school, and people yeah, say, no. What, so what law school? Right? University uh, of Texas. Okay. Yeah, I was at the, uh, as I like to say, I you was. You were a T-SIP for a little bit. I was, uh, I was getting, I got my education at Rice. I was going to get my vocational training at, uh, at uh, the University of Texas. So. Uh, anyway, dropped out, defaulted back into business school because I didn't know what to do. Figured out finance, and I was like, okay, this is really cool. And so I wanted to be an investment banker. So I spent all this time going up to Wall Street, trying to get a job, and it doesn't matter. You walk into one of the Wall Street investment banks, and you're from Texas. Ah, you want to be in the energy group? I'm like, no, I don't. I mean, I think this is a really crappy business. You spend all this money drilling a well, then you turn it on, find out what you got. I mean, it's just horrible. I'd love to do technology. Nah, nah, nah. You're from Texas, son. You want to be in the energy group. So I wound up, by default, becoming an energy guy because you know what you figure out is trying to get a job in investment banking, you really got to have somebody being a sponsor for you. And so what you find is the people in the energy group are generally from Texas. They generally speak the way you do uh, and the like. And so 
that that's how you wind up getting your your sponsor and getting your job. So, so you go to Stevens. Now, did you have that crazy investment banking lifestyle the first few years where you're just working a million hours and you kind of yeah, it felt it felt like it. Um, it it really did. But I mean, just the the neat thing though, and I, I say this time and time again. If you can go be, if you can go survive three years of being an analyst in the corporate finance department for a uh, investment bank, I mean, just building those models and understanding how everything flows together, and that the beauty of being at Stevens is I did a lot of energy, but Stevens did everything, and Stevens was probably the last investment bank to go to industry focus as opposed to regional. So sitting in Houston, we were just in charge of Houston. And so we'd do energy, we benchmark electronics down in Angleton was a big client. So I did contract electronic manufacturing. I worked with the Pappas family on some restaurant stuff. But just building those models and understanding, wow, if we take accounts payable from 30 days to 45 days, what does it what does it mean? You really get to figure out kind of how companies work, what's important, how to create value. So so that was just an amazing experience. Did you have any, um, you know, I look back in those first few years you get out of school and you're working, uh, have a key mentor or someone that you feel like pushed you or someone kind of pulled you up uh, as you were? Uh, to- totally blessed, totally blessed. Um, Gene Shepard, who runs Brigham and uh, has done really well in the in the energy world, uh, was was my first boss, and and along with that, Mike Ames. I don't know if you know Mike, but he recently retired as head of the energy group at Raymond James, and you just you could not ask for two better human beings to uh, to be mentors uh, for you, and and literally, uh, I mean, to this day. Uh, I've kind of got this mysterious second act I'm working on that unfortunately I can't talk about yet, but poor Mike Games has spent so much time on the phone babysitting me through it. And it's, uh, I, you know, it was interesting. So James Broach, who a lot of the listeners will probably know, James worked for me at Stevens and then worked with me at Kane and unfortunately passed away from brain cancer. I don't know if you've ever uh, been to the... To the Brooch Gala. Have you ever gone I to one of those? I haven't, but I've seen that. I saw the photo you posted of him on his... Yeah, and, uh, you know, it was really interesting. Um, I, I shouldn't say interesting, but just going through that. But where I was going with this is James actually, when I left Stevens to go to Kane, James went to the University of Texas Business School. And coming out of business school, he had offers from kind of multiple firms and I remember him sitting there saying, well, you know, this firm's $10,000 more than that one. And I said, yeah, but we've like talked for an hour and you haven't said a good thing about this $10,000 more firm, but all you've talked about is the great folks you worked with, you know, last summer and all that. And he goes, I know, but it's like $10,000. And I kept saying, that dissipates so quickly. Go someplace where you got folks looking out for you. Yep. Because, you know, at the end of the day, that's just so important. And, you know, the guys from Stevens used to put it this way, and I think it's incredibly eloquent and poetic. It's like, go hang out with folks you want to go to summer camp with, you know? Yep. And it really does make a difference. So, yeah, totally blessed by Gene and Mike. No, I mean, I get that just in the accounting world. You know, obviously, we're always going against the big four beast. And so, um, you know, I tell students all the time, go somewhere you make an impact and um, feel like you can grow the most because bigger isn't always better. Um, yeah, you know, you know, it's interesting. When you dig into the data on happiness, uh, the data kind of shows you a couple of things. One, if you actually earn your money, then you're happier about it as opposed to be giving given money. So, you know, you start a business and you wind up selling that business and making three three million dollars. Feel so much better than somebody, you know, walking in saying here's seventy five million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm willing to risk that. So <laughs> in case anyone wants to give me, but the other thing the data shows you too is that um, is that um, when you spend that money. If you spend that money on life experiences as opposed to objects, yep. you get a lot more in the way of benefit from it just personally, satisfaction-wise. So if you 
if you love rock music and you buy front row tickets to go see you know, Bon Jovi or whoever, that's going to mean so much more to you than you bought yourself a Ferrari. I mean, that you hit it right on the head. There's a Happiness Lab podcast, and they did one on that exact same thing. And, you know, there's data behind it. But, yeah, I mean, you can go buy that fancy car, and you're excited, you're happy about it for the first week or two, and then it's just it's the same vehicle that gets you from point A to point B. But if you go take a nice vacation, you're sharing that experience with someone, and you're talking about it, and it's always in your memory, and it provides a lot more happiness and, and long-term um, you know that experience over the stuff, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, well, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, with you, know what, you know what's interesting about that? So the the podcast I'm doing, you know, the Chuck Yates needs a job uh, podcast. The first guest I have on is my best friend James Fisher, and and he got let go from uh, from Opportune, and then I got you know, obviously the boot from Kane, and we talk a lot about that. And I think one of the big kind of realizations for me was um, I really like the toys. Don't get me wrong. But the toys, the benefit derived from the toys actually is the fact that you're getting to go do stuff with your best friend, mm -hmm. you know. And and if you sit there and you say, okay, you know, we're going to go jump on a plane and fly to nap and, and drink wine. You almost you, you get the same amount of enjoyment of going to uh, Trader Vic's or Trader Joe's, whatever, buying two buck Chuck and sitting in the backyard. I mean, it really is about those life experiences and the relationships and that sort of stuff, way more so than the toys. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I think sorry <laughs> the, for young said the man with the plane, but yeah, I get, I get it. I agree. I try to pass that knowledge down because as a twenty-something year old, that's hard to. Uh, hard to imagine, but it's true. So you're at Stevens. You, how long were you there? Six years, eight years? Uh, seven years. Seven years. So how did the Kane Anderson opportunity evolve? Did you create that? Did it come to you? How did that? It was, it was interesting because, um, so Bob Sonat was investing in energy out in Los Angeles during the 90s. He joined Kane, I believe, in 92. And Bob, at one point, these multi-strategy hedge funds that Bob was investing out of became 50 or 75% energy. And Bob, kind of, Bob and Rick said, well, you know, we really didn't intend for these. We meant them to be, you know, multi-industry. So let's just do a dedicated energy fund. And so Danny Weingesh joined Kane Anderson and I believe 98 and Dan Danny might be the funniest person on the planet. And so Danny and Bob went back and forth for about a year. Uh, cause Bob was like, come join me. Let's do this energy fund. And Danny's like, I'm not leaving Houston. And Bob said, you'll love LA. And, and Danny said, you may be an offer. It's not for me to live in LA. That's not off a decibel decimal point it's off a comma you know so eventually they opened the houston uh, the houston office and my ex-wife kim had actually worked for danny back at torch energy okay and i uh gene and i had written the fairness opinion when the folks at torch energy bought themselves from torchmark insurance company so we kind of knew all those guys and uh, and the like, and so kind of known Danny forever, and that was that was really the kind of the the bridge to to Kane. Okay, so you get there, and um, you know, at what point did you? I mean, you're you're at the top, you're raising this fund. I'm sure there's some stress involved with a uh, new experience and to be successful there. And at what point um, can you remember the first time where uh, you said? man, like this is working, like success, like where you, you know, you, you broke away and, and, and was there a definitive point where you're like, damn, I made it. You know, it, it's interesting because there were probably a whole lot of those points, but, you know, with, with age and looking back, you realize just how incredibly lucky you were in, uh, in all of that. I mean, I remember, being at Stevens and we made multiple investments for the Stevens family and energy technology stuff. And we made tons of money. We made, I don't know, average four times our money on however much we invested. And you go back and look back it, that was a call option on the NASDAQ going crazy. And, you know, you look at, you look at uh, oil and gas deals where, 
where you know the stallion deal there's a great story the the oil and gas investor actually wrote it up you know 12 13 years ago but in the middle of a hurricane we did an oil and gas deal with the stallion folks and we made you know three times your money and you just look back and you go oh my gosh we got so lucky we caught exactly the rise of Lynn energy and the mlps wanting assets like this because I guarantee you that wasn't in the original original write-up. And so uh, it's interesting. There were a lot of times along the way where, you know, I consider myself really smart and did all these great things. And sitting here, you know, being unemployed, looking back at it, you're like, wow, there was a lot of luck in that. Uh, you know, better be lucky than good, right? Um, so you were there. I mean, what do you what you enjoy the most about the cane experience? Um, if you can point, you know, to, to one thing or a few things. Oh, I think the I think the greatest thing uh, was just the relationship with the CEOs. I mean that that is you and I were kind of talking about this at lunch that you know we've got um, we've got this industry and we can talk all about how well it's managed and the difficulties of the business and the like. But at the end of the day, just in terms of folks you want to go to summer camp, like we were talking with earlier, not a greater group in the world than the energy business. And so, I mean, the lifelong friends of the CEOs was just, it was great. Couldn't agree more. It's definitely what drove me to kind of focus on energy. Um, So, you know, you sep- you kind of took a, uh, you separated from Kane, uh, and, you know, and you're in the middle of COVID. Con- conscientiously decoupling, what did that's uh, right. what did that's... Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin call it? Yeah, that, that's right. Conscientiously and, decoupled. And uh, were you ready for the, are you ready for the next chapter of your life? Or, or were you, or are you now? And what was that, what was that like? Yeah, no, um, you know, it's interesting. Like, like I was talking about earlier, I mean, just being able to have a blank sheet of paper, and sitting around writing on that blank sheet of paper what you want to do what you want don't want to do and all has actually really gotten the the juices flowing do you ever read scott adams stuff you know the dilbert guy oh yeah yeah so i didn't read this but one of those anonymous twitter calls that i was talking about earlier told me this story so uh so the whole way he came up with dilbert is he was sitting there going, you know, what do I do well? And he's like, corporate life. I've moved up faster than other people, but I'm never going to be the CEO. But I'm probably better than 75% of people. So he draws a circle. And then he goes, drawing. You know, I can never be an artist and make a living, but I'm better than 75% of people. Draws a circle. And then he's sitting there, funny. You know, I'm not Eddie Murphy. I'm not Steve Martin. I won't be the funniest person, but I'm probably funnier than 75% of Americans. And he draws another circle. And his whole point is, in that Venn diagram, where it all overlaps, is how he came up with Dilbert. And he's like, if you can, you know, piece together two or three things where you're better than most and you enjoy doing, I mean... That should be your jam. Yep. So there's been a lot of that this summer, and um, and so you're now you're you're kind of moving on, finding new things to get involved with. Cottonwood Ventures. I met those guys. We we proposed on some business with them, and, and unfortunately didn't get it. But I love those guys. Tell tell uh, the group. You know how did that evolve, and, and how much fun are you having with that? That that was that was kind of interesting because uh, on LinkedIn, I forget what the subgenre is, but let's just say it was energy. Uh, I was supposedly the most searched person for two weeks kind of after the announcement of, of getting the boot. And I was getting cyber stalked by everybody. I was getting messages all the time. And through. what's your official title title on LinkedIn these days? <laughs> exactly. It was so funny. They would not let me create a site without a title. So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn getting rid of managing partner and they're like, we can't take this edit until you put a title on. So galactic viceroy and uh i, I kid you okay so i get did you a, change your picture at the same time i did For those, you got to go check out the picture now you're gonna be searched again but well yeah the uh yeah that i actually look good in that picture that's, so that, that awesome. was that was the whole thing so what that i have a santa claus hat on um but you know it was interesting i actually got a message through linkedin that said congrats on the new job <laughs> and, I was like, and I get it. They probably just hit the button. Yeah. So I, I sent back and I said, well, 
It's always been my dream, and I'm just pursuing my destiny. <laughs> I kid you not, that same person texted me back, I know you'll crush it. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going, oh my God. Now, in fairness, he's probably out there going, Yates is delusional. <laughs> Yates <laughs> thinks he's going to space. But. Uh, so the, the Cottonwood guys, I mean, does that bring you back some excitement to your early days at Kane where you're – you know, I know they have a, probably a few funds now, but like being around that young energy and seeing their success and, and helping wherever you can. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they cyber stalked me and uh, we wound up hanging out and we hung out way too long one night. Uh, but what was interesting when they were going through their theory on energy technology, what's going to happen, the next day I sent them a copy of a pitch book I'd written 22 years ago at Stevens where they could have literally lifted pages to put in, in their stuff. And, and so anyway, so that was really cool. We bonded over that. The other thing that, that kind of happens too is, is, and I love my former LPs, please don't take this wrong, but LPs will just never, they'll never tell you no while you're fundraising. They always want the optionality of investing in the last second. And so I'm sitting there at dinner with the Cottonwood guys, and I go, who are you fundraising with? And they're like, well, we're making some progress here. And I text, no, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to. They're like, what? And I said, well, I know them. They're, just, they're not going to invest. I just texted them, and they said they're not. And, the, and to their credit, the Cottonwood guys are like, this is great. A quick no is the second yes. best, uh, best answer out there. So we kind of bonded over that, and that's ultimately how I wound up on the advisory board. And, um, you know, so you, you have that, that takes a little bit of your time, but I'm sure you're getting a ton more time with your kids these days. You got three, you know, what does that look like? And are they enjoying uh, dad with a bunch of free time? The, uh, I think they're mortified. So I've been sitting there. I don't know who pointed it out to me and they should probably go to jail, but someone directed me to the reface app. And so I bought the Reface app and I'm totally addicted to putting my face on all the videos that I can. And I'm constantly sending this out on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. For those that haven't seen, we've seen Lady Gaga. We've seen um, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. The latest was John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll let you in on the, uh, I'll let you in on the, uh, the little secret. There's a, there's a good shot that maybe later, later this afternoon, I might be dropping Chuck as Britney Spears. Oh, yeah, oh so, well, that's going to break yeah. Twitter <laughs> or, or something. Uh. But, uh, yeah, no, so, uh, yeah, no, my, my kids are mortified by that. I, I'm constantly getting the text of dad, you've gone too far. So what's, uh, what's next for Mr. Chuck Yates? I know, talk a little bit about the podcast. You know, I know you're involved in charities. I mean, how are you trying to allocate your time these days? The, so, so, yeah, so let me give the quick pitch for YDC. Um, the, uh, it's the after-school literacy program that I've been on the board of for over 15 years. That's the organization that's always the beneficiary of the YDC roast that we throw every year and... And we do an old school Dean Martin Comedy Central style roast, and we've been blessed that pick a, an energy executive, Ken Hirsch, et cetera, uh, uh, Will Van Lowe, Mike Lynn, Lisa Stewart, two percent Ted, Ted two, Collins, yeah, Ted Collins was that was one of the great lines. Jeff Ross, hey Ted, you really put the fossil in fossil fuels, <laughs> but. Um, no, so so we've got to we've I've got to figure out some way to get them get them some money this year. We've been blessed that the roast has done so well that we can serve the community we serve through this year without having a fundraiser. But it'll get tight next summer, so I got to go figure that out. Um, definitely, uh, definitely going to spend some time working on my podcast. The the supposedly it's ninety percent of podcasts don't make it past ten episodes. It's number nine, so we this is are. Number nine, ooh, so you're, we're, we're cresting. You're in range. That's right. You're in range, and uh, given that it took you six months to find an idiot big <laughs> enough to uh, to say uh, to come on, so yeah, I'll be I'll be doing that. And then, like I said, I've got a I've got a second act that I'm uh, that I'm working on, and hopefully, I can start talking about that before the end of the year. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, we won't delve into that. I mean, you got to keep that tight, but okay. So now we're going to go to the 20 questions. We do this each time. Uh, the, for those that have listened to Bernie Brown's podcast, she stole this from me. I think she's doing 10 questions. She tried to, she does the same 10 questions though. These are, these are different. So, uh, we'll, right. we'll see where we can go. Uh, so what is your dream job? 
dream job. Um, so when I was a sophomore in high school, um, Rice University fired Ray Alburn as their head football coach. And I wrote a letter to Norman Hackerman, who was the president of Rice at the time, and uh, said I wanted to be the head football coach at Rice. I laid out, you know, that that um, I watched all the Dallas Cowboy games. I, I kind of I could get a hat like Tom Landry. Went through all of this. I said it would be, you know, Rice has always stunk at football. At least there would be some publicity. So I sent that letter. I got a very nice got a response. Got a response. Oh. I have forwarded your application to the search committee. I wish you well. So like three years later, I'm a fresh, or two years later, I'm on Rice's campus at a reception. I walk up to Dr. Hackerman, and I'm like, I am Chuck Yates. I'm the one that uh, applied to be the head football coach. And he said, come here, son. We pulled aside, and he said, hell, they all sucked. I wish they'd have given it to you. <laughs> so, so you almost had your dream job. That's I almost good. had my dream job. So, exactly. you know, you've got some great stories with some uh, some famous people that you've met here and there. Uh, That's good uh, for celebrity stalker. Yeah. As uh, so, of all the people you've met, and I know you got a, some pictures of them on your website. Um, what's the What's the one that stands out the most? Either the most entertaining or the best time. I mean, what What's one? Well, you know what, you know what's, you know what's actually really cool uh, about that is, is when you have someone that you idolize and you meet them in person, and it turns out they're even cooler than you thought they were. And um, you know, some celebrities obviously not, but uh, but when you do, I mean, that is just really cool. So I mean, Lee Majors is the coolest person on the planet. How do the you six- meet Lee Majors? So, so the Broach Gala. So uh, James Broach comes into my office and says, Chuck, I want you to MC the Broach Gala. It's going to be stand-up for brain cancer. Kevin Nealon's going to be the first comedian. I go, wow, that's great. About two months later, he walks back in, you know, a week before the gala, and he goes, hey, I got some good news, bad news. I go, what's the, uh, what's the bad news? He goes, you don't get to introduce Kevin Nealon. And I'm like, what? Writing all these jokes. Hans and Franz, I mean, you know, I was going to nail it. And he, I go, what's the good news? He goes, you get to introduce Lee Majors. And uh, so anyway, uh, I basically introduce Lee Majors. I call him on stage and, um, and, uh, and all, and uh, I make him give me a hug. In front of Rose. And uh, so anyway, he, he, he gives me this hug. The next day, James walks into my office. Lee wanted your phone number. I gave it to him. I'm like, oh, man, is he really mad about the hug? And uh, he goes, no, I don't think so. But he texted and said, let's go eat dinner. So, oh, does yeah. he live around here? I mean, he lives in Houston. Yeah, oh, okay, Lee lives cool, in Houston. Man. And so, yeah, no, we've become just a good old boy from Kentucky. And, uh, I mean, sitting there, you know, I own the lunchbox. Yeah. I mean, I watched them all. I watched the fall guy. And so, you know, I had the Fair Fawcett poster. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Uh, what's the last book you read? That's, that's a good question because I'm not a big reader. I will uh, I will kind of listen to audiobooks, but uh, but I won't uh, I won't uh, I'm just not a big reader. I don't know. I don't have the attention span for it. So what was Gladwell's last book? Oh, uh, talking, Outliers. Or? No, it was talking to people. Okay. It was I don't know. You remember what Gladwell's last book was? I read Outliers. That's the only one. We've got the uh, we've got the summer intern here playing <laughs> producer. He's like mortified that I'm going to make him speak. But. Uh, okay, so uh, you know, I think that we all have things that have happened in our life and they've impacted in certain ways. Is there one event that that you say, man, this happened and I kind of caused me to turn this way a little bit? Is there? You, you, you know, it's 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 really interesting. So. So, you know, unfortunately I separated from my wife. We wound up getting divorced and, and uh, obviously a low point. Um, but, you know, kind of through that, spent a lot of time with my, uh, my priest, Patrick Miller. Uh, I don't know if you were at my roast. I but was. He, he was, was tremendous. He was the goat, tremendous. wasn't he? He was awesome. I mean, he was, he was the best roaster. It was, and uh, he's actually the second episode of my podcast. We, okay. re- we recorded Monday night. We're going to... 
Uh, hopefully, we'll get these things these things launched soon. The the whole reason for the delay, I'm trying to get the license to use the song "Wild Thing" by uh, Tone Loke, and uh, it's become just like a mission. You know, I, I can't I, I, imagine the rabbit holes you have to go to track that. Oh, down. it's miserable. But uh, but anyway, so the the so going through all that, there just were so many coincidences that you had to begin to believe they were divinely inspired. And one of them that one of them that happened is I got on an airplane and it was two days after uh, after a divorce had been filed on me and you know obviously in shock um, sitting there and a friend of mine was on the plane sat in the row right behind me and I sit next to this guy named Eric and we sit there and we're about to take off, and Eric turns over and he goes, did you know I almost died? Um, and uh, I was probably about five minutes from, from death, and uh, I had a 95% chance of dying, but I made it. And I said, well, since we just met, no, I, I, I didn't know that story. <laughs> and uh, and he, he kind of chuckled, and he told it to me. So he tells me the, uh, the story, and then he tells me the story about Brian Welch from Korn. Do you know his story? I don't know he's, the story. I know he's the, the guitar player that... Heavy into drugs, etc. Quit the band, almost committed suicide, and was about to commit suicide. And Eric, his friend from high school, sent an email uh, to him and said, "You know, hey, go, you know, God loves you." And it's like, oh my gosh, how you know? Why are you sending this to me? Anyway, Brian winds up going to a church and converting to Christianity, turning his life around. He's back in, in corn and he gives credit to this guy, Eric in the, uh, in his autobiography for saving his life. And so we talked about that story and he talked about something else. We get off the plane. My friend walks by and, um, my friend walks by and when he's out of earshot, I go, I'm so sorry. I couldn't talk to you. My wife just filed for divorce. That was a friend of mine. I didn't want to say anything. I'm discombobulated. And Eric looked at me and he goes, I'm a businessman. I've been traveling three times a week for 30 years. Do you know how many times I've talked to the person next to me? And I said, no. And he goes, never. And I go, what happened? He goes, I don't know. God told me to talk to you. And uh, we actually wound up, this is kind of, kind of wild. We wound up praying right there in the airport. And that guy, Eric, babysat me for the next two years. I mean, he got the phone calls at three in the morning. Really? And, and you that, just met him on that plane? Just met him on the plane. Great guy. And uh, what was so funny about it is I was telling, I was telling you know, my priest Patrick all about Eric. And Patrick's like, look, dude, man, when God sends an angel, they're usually pretty good. You know, he doesn't yeah. send the B team in. So, so yeah, kind of one of those big moments that you just – you. Could be a coincidence, but at the same time, nah, there's too much purpose behind that for yeah, it to have yeah. just been intentional or uh, incidental. That's, uh, yeah, that's that's an awesome story. Um, so, you know, when you have three days of vacation, you can go anywhere. Where are you going? You're leaving on a Thursday, come back Sunday for it. So, I really want to go to the Vatican. Haven't done that. Uh, one of the greatest trips I did about a year and a half ago, two years ago, is I actually went to Israel. And oh, if, cool. if Jesus stepped there, I stepped there. I had literally 7 o'clock in the morning, a driver picked me up, dropped me off at 9. I had, uh, I had a Jewish driver and a Palestinian tour guide. And they got along when we were all together, but separated. We'd be like, they built a mosque on our temple, you know, and, and, uh, and the like. But uh, anyway, it was an amazing trip. So I really like um, religious archaeology stuff. So I'd love to go to the Vatican. Um, okay, if you're on death row, what's your last meal? A, it's probably a bone-in ribeye. From where? Medium rare, a little bit of char on it. I'd, I'd, if it's my if it's my last one, man, I'm gonna make Chris Shepard do it. Okay. You know, okay. A little bit of cheesecake with some caramel sauce and some cream spinach. And well, what are you drinking? Oh yeah, we need. Uh, let, let, let's 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 go first growth France, maybe a Chateau Margaux. Okay, yeah. nice. Well, um, if it's the last one. That's you right. Know? You gotta you gotta knock it out. Um, okay, in terms of your career, if you had to name one person that had the most impact on your success, who would it be? Uh, Gilbert Cuthbertson. He was my political science professor at Rice University, and Doc C. 
his whole political theory that he wrote his books on myth, power, value. You basically use myth to convert values into power. And so kind of the explanation for that is is George Washington cutting down the cherry tree. Oh, yeah. That's not a true story. Yeah, yeah. His political consultant made that up, but, you know. And Abraham the, Lincoln couldn't tell a lie. Exactly, exactly. And uh, all of that stuff, and it was the the whole thing of the value of honesty, converting it into power and stuff. And so when you think about the the word, the world through that lens, I'm not saying we should run around and lie and stuff, but uh, you, you you definitely frame things. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, careers are all about marketing, right? Yeah. Um, okay, you got to listen to one song over and over for the rest of your life. What song? Talk Dirty to Me by Poison. I mean, hands down. I still break out into chills whenever I hear that riff. Do you play any instrument? No. I can't play. I can't sing. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure you've tried before, though, right? Karaoke? Uh-huh. Oh, uh, karaoke. I, uh, I actually uh, sang up on stage with Thomas Rhett one time, and uh, he was just like, dude, I'll pay you to leave. Old 97th? Thomas Rhett? Uh, no, the country singer. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, if you could have one, have dinner with any person, dead or alive, who would it be? Dead or alive, who would I want to? Hmm, it's a good question. I um, this is going to sound weird, but um, I've always had a fascination, and in fact, I wrote my senior thesis at Rice on it, the Kennedy assassination. I'd love to go have dinner with Lee Harvey Oswald because I don't think he did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, and I, it, maybe if you rephrase the question of if you could be in any spot at any time in history and be able to kind of know what's going on, Daily Plaza when Kennedy got shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that the ultimate uh, mystery there. Uh, if you had a boat, what would you name it? For sale. <laughs> what's the one I heard recently? Uh, is something insolvency or okay what's your most useless talent most useless talent um the uh that's a really good question come back to that okay. one. what think... about uh if there's one mistake that you've made that you could correct oh gosh in all in all seriousness, I wish uh, I wish going through the divorce, I'd been on better behavior. I mean, I just didn't have the skill set, the communication skill set, to be able to 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 handle that very well. And I really wish, you know, in hindsight, that the skills I have today, uh, I had back then, that I could have navigated it with. I think Kim and I would be in a lot better shape. And you know, so. some of that sometimes, and I understand, I you know, you go through something like that, and it helps you evolve and so if you didn't go through that would you evolve the same i don't know no that's uh, yeah that's 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 clearly right it's uh and I, and i wouldn't have been in a good spot to handle getting fired right yep and i uh, had getting fired happen to me first as opposed i don't know who yeah. knows where i would have been uh what's one tv show you're binging these days so right now I'm watching the Gary Shandling show. <laughs> that's a that's a throwback. I like it. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm a big fan. Uh, okay, uh, if there's one po- podcast you're listening to the most right now, it's I'm winding up listening to my own, and I know that sounds self-serving, but it's I'm not, and I'm not I'm trying, trying to, to fine-tune what you're doing, right? Right, and and I'm not trying to bring politics into it. Whatever you think of the guy, I mean, Rush Limbaugh has had as successful a radio career as anyone, right? And he talks about the first two or three years of him being on the air, just how horrific his voice sounded, how he hated the way he phrased things, and and that's what it is on the podcast. I mean, I'm sitting there listening to it, I'm cringeworthy. How did I just say that? And the like, uh, so. getting a little BP here. Yeah, uh, exactly. So if you not, not doing much better, that's <laughs> strike two. Uh, name uh, what's the movie you quote the most? The movie I quote the most probably Casablanca. Okay. Man, I'm no good at being noble. Uh, name, uh, okay, one thing on your bucket list that you have not accomplished. Bucket list. So, you know, I would love to go to the Vatican, as I said earlier. I would love to go to Machu Picchu. 
oh, as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. And uh, I was actually thinking that when I'm on the Zoom call, Chuck, we need to go a different direction. I'm going, holy cow, I can travel, you know. And then I'm like, virus, what the hell? Well, I, you know, to top you on that, or not top you, to, to match you, my dad literally retired, um, you know, 70 years old, worked till he's 70, retired the Monday before the corona outbreak, and he had a whole plan for a year of traveling with, oh, with no. my mom. Oh, and no. so... It is, uh, you know, on top of that, you retire and, and uh, you know, you see the stock market go down like that, too. I it, know. Was, it was an interesting time. He's in a much better place now, but I felt for him. Uh, okay, you have 48 hours with your kids. What are you doing with them? Uh, so, so, way back in the day, kind of before it was a thing, the Texas Monthly Top 50 Barbecue Joints, oh, yeah. um, let's say two times ago, maybe, you know, call it whatever, 10 years ago, I decided I was going to go eat at all 50. And what's really interesting about it is if you're willing to drive, it's about six loops. You know, you go up through East Texas, you go Central Texas, you head up towards Lubbock, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can hit probably 40 out of the 50. Okay. And then, you know, the remaining 10, like, you're like over in Pecos, you just yeah, got to go to Pecos and yeah. stuff. And so, Kim, it used to be cute. Kim would say, hey, Saturday, I got to get some stuff done. Take the kids. Just pile them in the car and make them eat barbecue. Drive <laughs> and, do it. and kind of the deal we cut was so long as they could have banana pudding, they would, they would do it. And as much as they gripe about those trips and, and doing all that, I mean, just being in the car with your yeah, kids, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Doing doing something that they can gripe about, but at the same time, They'll they actually forever. kind of joy. Yeah. Shared experiences. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, um, it's kind of, uh, the you know, most of the fun of going on a road trip is just the road trip, right? Oh, absolutely. In the car, talking about whatever. No, I agree. That's, uh, okay, what's the craziest or most interesting investment you've ever made? craziest or most so no i do uh so i've invested in two movies really i am executive what movies so it's a butch viggs movie he's the drummer for garbage he was the producer that did never bind by nirvana he's produced various foo fighters green day smashing pumpkins uh, his studio in Madison, Wisconsin, where he recorded Nevermind by Nirvana, was called the Smart Studios. Okay. Old warehouse. He, you know, taped up egg egg carts on the wall and and stuff. And they made a documentary about it. So, oh, okay. So I'm executive producer. Of that. Is it out? It is out. It's where, been out where can for, you find it? That's a good. I have no idea. Smart Studios. Okay. And uh, anyway, it's a great movie. It's really cool. Uh, I played it for my birthday like three years ago, and Butch came down and, and actually answered questions. And the the coolest thing about that was, uh, hey Butch, when you uh, when you recorded, never mind by Nirvana. I mean, did you know that was going to change the world? And yeah. Ushering grunge, he was all like, Nah, I did think it was a kick ass album, but <laughs> didn't know that. Um, Okay, well, we're wrapping it up. I got one more question. Uh, you are actually, you know, every time I've done this, I've, I've asked uh, whoever's on who should be the next person on or who should be on. Uh, if you had, you know, anyone from the industry, who should be on next? Who should be on next on the industry? Well, it clearly should be Thomas Ackerman, but good luck. <laughs> you're, you're not going to get. You're not going to get uh, him or Goodman would I would I would love it, um, but we'll see. Yeah, no, it'd be great to have Goodman come on and talk about Ackerman. That would <laughs> that would really be a, be a good one. Okay, well, Chuck, I appreciate your time. Uh, it was fun spending some time with Absolutely, you. Absolutely, man. And, Thanks uh, for having I, me. Let us know when we can help you plug your podcast. I'm sure it's going to be great. Yeah, no the the website is chuckyatesneedsajob.com and the web the pod will be linked there uh, there soon enough. So uh, hopefully, Tone Local give me the rights to Wild Thing. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody. Uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon.